the Bible today. Let's open up to the book of Acts chapter 9. As we continue our, our journey through the book of Acts, today we study a couple of amazing miracles through the life and ministry of Peter. And so we're going to see in verses 32 through 35 a, a man who was paralyzed rising from the bed. And then in verses 36 through 43, we'll see a lovely lady who had passed away rising from the dead. And so as a result of these two miracles, uh, a greater miracle takes place, and that is that people actually get saved. They come to Christ. And so today, in one sense, we're going to see a great miracle, then a greater miracle, then the greatest miracle of all. And that is when... People get saved, right? Wiersbe asked that question. What's the greatest miracle that God can do for us? And some would say the healing of the body, God's greatest miracle, while others would vote for the raising of the dead. However, I think, he said, that the greatest miracle of all is the salvation of a lost sinner. And why is that? Well, because salvation is eternal and all other healings are just temporal. You know, it's good, it's a blessing, of course, to walk physically, but it's a greater blessing to walk spiritually. It's good, uh, definitely a blessing to be alive and to live physically, but isn't it a greater blessing, the greatest blessing of all, to live spiritually? And we're going to see that this morning as Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, returns now to the ministry of our Lord through the Apostle Peter. And so notice, if you would, in verse 32 of Acts 9, Now it came to pass, as Peter went through all parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. And there he found a certain man named Aenus, who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. And then he arose immediately. So all who dwelt in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. And so here we see, first of all, the miracle of uh, raising this man who had been paralyzed from his bed. Now Peter's just traveling, you know, he's teaching. Uh, no doubt he's kind of just making himself available to minister as the Holy Spirit would lead. And that's a good place to be. Hopefully you guys were there, you know, just Lord, whatever you want to do, Right? And so he arrives in the location of Lydda. Now, uh, for those of us who are excited about going to Israel, because it's almost here, huh? I think in a couple of Sundays. We'll be here next Sunday, and then boom, we're going to Israel. So when we la land in Israel, we're going to land in Lydda. We're going to land just right there. Uh, we actually have a map, I think, available, just to kind of give you a perspective, an idea as to the location. And there, there you see uh, Lydda. It's about 25 miles from Jerusalem and uh, about 8 to 10 miles from Joppa. Joppa was the Jewish port. Uh, Caesarea was the Roman port. And so anyways, uh, he arrives in this place called Lydda. In the Old Testament, it's called Lod. And uh, it was a Benjamite town near the plain of Sharon. Now, we're going to see Sharon later. It's a whole region that uh, actually gets saved. And so... You know, it's located at the intersection of the caravan routes from Egypt to Babylon. That's pretty huge. And again, the road from Joppa to Jerusalem. Later, it becomes a district capital of Samaria. And in Peter's day, which is what we're studying today, it was largely a Gentile city. 
But what we find is that the church spread to Lydda early and eventually in the second century, Christianity became very strong here. And so what we're seeing today is the beginning of this great work that God does in this area. Now we're about to get into Acts chapter 10 and what we're going to see is this huge move from a Jewish church. It was In the beginning, Christianity was kind of seen more of a Jewish sect and now in Acts chapter 10, the Lord just bursts the doors open to the Gentiles. And to me, it's just an exciting thing. You know, the whole wide world is now the canvas of God's consecration. It's amazing to me, this section of Scripture. And so, Peter arrives in Lydda. While he was there, he met a man who had been bedridden for eight years, and he was paralyzed. We don't know the specifics as to how it happened. We're not sure if it was just from the waist down, the neck down, or any of those types of details. But it, when you read your text, it doesn't seem to take Peter long to find this guy and to heal him. And I love the way he does it. Uh, look again at verse 34. And Peter said to him, Aenas, Jesus the Christ heals you. I mean, that's just, it's, to me, it's just, I love the way that he says it, right? I mean, he's basically, you know, let's make this clear. It's not me. It wasn't Peter. He wanted everyone to know that it was Jesus. Jesus the Christ heals you. And that, that was the way he ministered, right? He would always point people to Jesus. Remember in the beginning when this all started in Acts chapter 3, verse 6, he saw the lame man that was there. It says in Acts 3, 6, And Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Right? I mean, just, just making it clear. It's not me. It's not the pastor. It's not that godly person. It's Jesus. Just really making it really clear. You know, it's not the gifted individual who healed you or the evangelist who saved you. You know, for whatever reason, we, we get our eyes on men and, you know, we miss the whole point. Peter made it clear as he healed the man and, and even after he healed the man that it was Jesus. In Acts chapter 3, verse 12, talking about that first lame man that he healed, you know, and people were looking at him and they're like, wow! You know, Peter, he saw this and he responded to the people. Acts three twelve, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? I mean, if there's a guy here in a wheelchair, you came up and you said, in the name of Jesus Christ, you know, rise up and walk, you know, and then people would trip out. They'd come and look at you, right? They'd be like, wow, how did you do that? That's our tendency, but we have to repent of that. No, it was, it was Jesus. It's not the guy. He's just the vessel. You know, later he's still talking about that same healing in Acts chapter 4, verse 10. He says, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. You know, and, and as you read through the book of Acts, you're going to see uh, some interesting things take place. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of similarities between the miracles of Peter and Paul. And, 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 and they, the thing about them is they did their best to make sure that we, that they remembered that it wasn't Peter 
or Paul performing the miracles. It was the Lord. You know, later the Corinthian church, uh, they unfortunately started walking in carnality and they started following one or the other. Some were saying, hey, I'm of Peter or I'm of Paul. And, and no, what should we be saying? We are of Christ, right? You know, I've told you guys a million times that the best of men are men at best. And there's an infinite difference between the godliest man in the world and God. And if you don't learn that, then you're going to struggle in your walk. You get your eyes on, on the pastor, you get your eyes on the assistant pastor, you get your eyes on the whatever it is, the worship teacher, or the one who discipled you, or the one who led you to the Lord, or one who mentored you, whatever, the famous evangelist. It will hinder your walk. It really will. You know, one of the godliest guys in the Bible, I would say, is John the Baptist. You got, I don't know, man, anybody who can eat you know, grasshoppers and, you know, just be out there and in the, in, the, in the desert. And all the people came to him and all he was was a point man. But do you remember what he said? He said, I baptize you guys with water. There comes one, mightier than I, whose sandals shop I'm not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And let me just say it this way. Let me just say it this way. If you get your eyes on man, you will be baptized with water. But if you get your eyes on the Lord, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Which do you prefer? Which do you prefer? You know, get your eyes on Jesus Christ. Peter said to this guy, man, Jesus heals you. And they made it clear it was never the man. You know, with that said, the man arose immediately and was healed and thrilled. And so you might wonder, well, why did Peter heal him? Um, number one, it was the will of God. And number two, it was a combination of compassion and salvation. Not everybody who's lame is going to get healed. Not everybody who's in the wheelchair is going to get healed or sick or suffering from different diseases, right? But some will. It's all dependent on the will of God. And as they're there, of course, we have the compassion. In this case, there would be divine intervention for redemptive purposes. We, we see the result of this, um, Verse 35, So all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. You know, and I just, um, when I read that right here, I just love the way that the Bible gives the simplicity of how a person is saved. You know, you guys here in the first service, probably you're saved, you know. <laughs> Second service, it's a lot different. But you just never know. I mean, how did you get here this morning? Did someone drag you? Um, did someone bribe you? Uh, did your parents make you or your husband or your wife? Um, maybe you're here today and you don't really know the Lord. You're not a Christian. Maybe you're religious. Maybe you grew up in a certain denomination. But at the end of the day, you don't have an assurance that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven. You don't have that. You don't have a relationship with God. And you're wondering, well, how can I get it? How can I get saved? How, how can I know for sure that I'm forgiven? How can I know for sure that when I die, I'll go to heaven and, and not hell? And, and this is how. It's so simple. Turn to the Lord. That's it. That's all it says right there. When they saw, verse 35, they, they saw what happened. They just said they turned to the Lord. That's all you have to do today. 
You know, you don't have to go and earn your way salvation. You're not going to be good enough. You don't have to go home and clean up your life first. No, just today. Just turn to the Lord. You know, they turned to the Lord going this way. They were going the wrong way. But then they said, I'm going to make that turn. I'm, I'm turning the will of my heart over to the one who died for my sins and rose again. I'm, I'm turning my life over to Jesus Christ, the one who makes men walk. That's what we see right here. You know, maybe in your heart, you're like, I've always had that yearning. And now you're reading the Bible and you're learning that all it takes is turning. That's all you have to do, turn to Jesus. And, and we see this figure of speech a number of times in the book of Acts. In 11 verse 21, it says, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. You know, we see it again in Acts 15, 19. The Jerusalem council was making a decree. And, you know, James said, Therefore I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. And we see the same thing in Acts 26, 18 and on. When the Lord called Saul, he says, I'm going to use this guy, Paul. And through him, a lot of people are going to turn to the Lord. You know, and somewhere along the life, along your life, and you guys are here that I'm talking, I'm like, okay, there's a lot of Christians here. But somewhere in your life, you turned to the Lord. See, that's how you got saved. Jesus healed the man, empowered him to walk. People saw it and were saved. You know, when we went to Nepal, this last missions trip, there was a man there who was lame. He could not walk. And so he was there in the condition, same exact place. He was on the bed. His friends told him that Jesus could heal him. But his parents wouldn't let him become a Christian because he was Hindu. But eventually as time progressed, he said, Mom, you know, they said that Jesus can heal me. And so eventually she gave him permission to call on the name of Christ. They brought the people over. They prayed for him. And he was healed. And we went to the Bible college over there. Homeboy was dancing. <laughs> I'm serious. You can ask those who went to Nepal, okay? So as a result of that, people around him who saw the miracle, they were saved, right? And so, you know, when you look at that miracle, I mean, these things are still happening. But, but here's the thing that you've got to know at the end of the day. It's not the miracle of one's physical walk, really, that's most important. You know, God can also use the miracle of one's spiritual walk. As I said earlier, it's a blessing for people to walk physically. How many of you guys, do you guys walk? you ever walk? You're supposed to walk. Okay, start walking, all right? But, but how far will that get you? Isn't it better for you to walk spiritually? You know, I, I don't want to read too much into it, but more than likely this man was saved because it talks about, you know, Peter going to Lydda to the saints the saints in Lydda, so more than likely this guy was saved, right? But it, he wasn't walking. And here's something that I think that we can probably take away from this, you know? I wonder if there are any here today who are saved, but at the end of the day, you're not really walking with power. You guys know what a power walk is, right? And a lot of times that, that's what it takes. Jesus is here. To heal you. Jesus is here to help you. Jesus is here to raise you from your bed where you've just been kicking back. 
You know, a Christian, yeah, I'm a Christian. I got the bumper sticker. Yeah, you're saved. But when people look at your life, do they see the power of a walk with God? Do they really see that? You know, we're supposed to walk with Him in life. We're supposed to walk like Him. And the only way we can do this is through Him. And today, if that's you and you're struggling in your walk as a Christian, today, don't look to men, look to Jesus. And just say, Jesus, I'm, I'm having a hard time. Jesus, I'm struggling. Jesus, you know my heart. This trial, I can't handle it. This temptation, it's been overwhelming me. I find myself unable to walk. I'm in bed. Lord, I need you. And I, and I just know, because I, I know, you know, thank God for who he is. He's so gentle and loving that if you're here today and you're open, you've got to come and just be humble. Acknowledge your genuine need for him to come into your life in this sense and help you to walk. You know, I talked to you guys a lot about, you know, how we can be, um, we, can, we can talk. Oh, you know scripture. Oh, you, you can talk and you can teach. The question is, can you walk? You know, we can't just be talky-talkies, right? We need to be walkie-talkies. We need both. You know, one of my favorite movies, it has a really cool line in it. It's about a man who, uh, who gets older, he loses his job, and he see, he's talking to his wife, and his wife is saying, well, maybe you should just become a teacher, you know, and, and this is what he says. He says, I don't want to teach, I want to do. And I think even as a pastor, that, that's one of my favorite lines in all the movies I've ever, I've ever seen. Because, you know, it's cool teaching. And I pray that, that God would use it in your life and my life. But at the end of the day, this is not enough. Sometimes we think, well, I like the Bible study you know, and we, I'm a hearer, or I taught the Bible study. That's sufficient. Absolutely not. It's when you do the Bible study, when you when you walk. And I, and I just know that we can't do it without Jesus, and Jesus won't do it unless you let Him. You got to admit, and you got to be open. There has to be an element of surrender and repentance. Otherwise, you will hinder Jesus from helping you walk. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6, it says, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. And so that's our goal, you know, to love like the Lord loves and to live like the Lord lived, you know, to be like Jesus, not like me. Well, this is who I am. Too bad. So sad. You got to change. Imagine if you start walking. I mean, really walking. Would, would that, do you think that would impact anybody? You know, not only will you get blessed, but others will see and get saved. You know, when your friends and family, they witness your love and life and transformation they will experience salvation. You're like, well, I've been trying to reach out to them, you know, for 17 years and they just won't change. Well, maybe you need to change. 
Have you ever thought about that? You know, insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. No, maybe you need to do something different. Men and women who were thugs, hooked on drugs, they couldn't walk straight if their life depended on it. Maybe that's you. Not a single step was right, but Jesus then comes into your life and then they start walking in sobriety, spiritually, with Christ and even like Christ. People start seeing your life. And then someone sees friends, family, complete strangers. They hear your testimony. Wow, what a miracle. That guy's life is a miracle. And they see it. And they're saved. I just love the way the Bible uses these simple terms for salvation and getting right with God. You know, if you're taking notes, maybe you can write down Deuteronomy 4, verse 30. It's a great passage on turning to the Lord. Psalm 22, verse 27. Maybe some of you here today, you be open. You're like, well, I'm a Christian. I've been here 17 weeks in a row. Okay, this, that's cool, you know. But have you ever thought that maybe you need to turn? You need to make a right turn. You ever thought about that? What is it? Well, I don't know. I'm too busy to think about it. No, think about it. You know, uh, Psalm 22, 27. We, we need to turn from our sin, the Bible says in Lamentations 3.40. Let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 1.9 talks about Paul going into Thessalonica and how the people turned to God from idols. You know, we need to turn from human tradition, blind religion. Read that in 2 Corinthians 3.16. And when you turn turn to the Lord, because you're here and you're like, well, I don't understand it. I don't understand it all. I can't really see it too clearly. Try it. Turn to the Lord, and then the veil will be taken away. When I got saved, I didn't understand everything. I didn't. But I knew I needed Jesus. I knew that. So I went forward and I turned to the Lord and then my eyes were opened. And that's what the Bible says. That when we turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away. You know, maybe you're a Christian and you've drifted away and God's calling you to return. Spoken of frequently in the Bible because we have a tendency to stray, right? Our alignment's off. The Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. And so we need to return. And we read that in Joel 2.13, where it says, Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. For He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. And He relents, or He'll change His mind from doing harm. God is so good that He will even help you to do this. Hosea 12.6 says, So you, by the help of your God, return. God will help you to observe mercy and justice and wait on God continually. So let me ask you a question. Just in case anyone's here today and and you're like, okay, I'm open to do business with God. I'm open, man, to see a a miracle take place. And then you guys know I'm weird, right? Let me ask you, is it your turn to turn today? I pray if it is that you would take your turn, so to speak. The other day we were playing... um, a very intellectual game at my house with my family. It's called Trouble. Have you guys ever played that game? It requires a great uh, thinking. <laughs> but 
But you know, um, here, you know, me, uh, I'm okay. My son, my daughter, myself, we're playing the game. But Shelly's working out while we're playing the game. We kept having to tell her, "It's your turn. It's your turn. It's your turn." And so she would come back, and sometimes I kind of would skip her, but I didn't tell her. No, I'm just joking. But you know, um, maybe it's your turn. Maybe that's why you're here today. Because God wants to do a great work in your life. Right? One quick side note before we leave here in verse 34. Notice again what it says. Peter said to Aenus, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. For any of you parents here who have problems with your kids making their bed, they need Jesus to heal them. Okay, this is how it's going to happen, okay? <laughs> you can tell them in the morning, hey, it's biblical. Get up, make your bed. <laughs> Acts chapter 9, verse 34. So first of all, rising from the bed. Secondly, rising from the dead. Look at verse 36. It says that Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room and all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and the garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed on the Lord. And so it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a tanner. And so, um, just amazing miracles, you know, rising from the bed, that paralyzed man, and now rising from the dead. This lovely young lady, Luke begins a section by speaking of a dear disciple whose her, his Aramaic name is Tabitha, Greek is Dorcas, both names literally mean gazelle. You know, that, those medium-sized antelopes known for their grace, beauty, and speed, right? And so she was uh, just a lovely lady who was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. But tragically, she fell ill and, and she died. And so they washed her body. That's what they would do prior to anointing it. But they didn't anoint it yet because they, they had faith. They, thought, they, they heard, well, that guy Peter, you know, he's eight, ten miles down the road. It was their faith. It wasn't Peter's. It was, it was their faith. They said, hey, come and pray for her. Maybe she'll, you, know, you can raise her from the dead. Now, we haven't seen this yet in the book of Acts. We've seen it in the ministry of Jesus, but not with the disciples, right? And so, um, what ends up happening? Uh, the, you know, Peter is on his way. And, and th there's something about this lady that they love, that in one sense they feel like they can't live without her. 
You know, and I, and I kind of like this, and usually when you hear studies on this, uh, John Corson, Pastor Chuck, some of the other guys, they'll touch on the fact that when a leader died, a pastor died, and even an apostle, they don't do this. But when this lovely lady dies, they're like, hey, come, quick, we need you to raise her from the dead. You know, John Corson said, quick, call for Peter, Dorcas is dead. Following the death of no other apostle or spiritual leader did the early church ever call the apostles... You know, the, the prophets, the spiritual superstars, they're dead. Well, it's okay, let's move on. But Dorcas, we need her. Why? Because Dorcas was one who ministered practically. She did good things for people. She sewed clothing. She cared for them in a very tangible way. She was down to earth. She was real. You know, when your car isn't working, you don't want a prophet or an apostle or a preacher. You want a mechanic, right? How many ladies can say Amen. <laughs> you know, she was, she was real, right? I mean, give us more mechanics. Give us more seamstresses. Give us more cooks. God, give us more practical, loving people like Dorcas. And I thought about Steve, you know, when I was going through this right here. Like I said, you know, going around the building, emptying the trash. And then, you know, a few days pass by and you look and all the trashes are full. You know, when a pastor passes, and i got to be really careful with this, i got to be really careful with this, but, you know, it's not that big of a deal. I think that in one sense, there's a lot of guys that want to do that. Oh, they'll take my spot, no problem, you know. And, you know, you've got, uh, just for whatever reason, God can take almost any man, it seems like, and make him a pastor. He can speak through a donkey. You know, like with Samson, he uses a jawbone of a donkey, and he does these great things. Yeah, that's one thing I've definitely seen. But for some reason, people aren't lining up to empty the trash. They're not lining up to, to do the, the other aspects, the service. You know, and, and, and there's this something, I don't know if you guys have discovered it yet. I know that I have discovered it yet. It seems more noble to me to take a meal to a family that's hurting in one sense than it is to do the religious stuff, the spiritual stuff. There's just something about that practical Christianity that really, it just it makes you feel good because it is good. You know, Jesus said, you know, when, when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was naked, you gave me, you know, clothing. When I didn't have a place to live, you brought me in. You showed me hospitality. When I was sick, you went to visit me. When I was in prison, you showed up. He said, and when you did this, you're, you, know, you did it unto me. And there's something about that type of Christianity that is so practical, that is so beautiful. So when this lovely lady passes away, they're thinking, Lord, is there any way that you could bring her back? Oh yeah, Peter's over there. And so they call for Peter. And, and Peter you know, went to her. He asked the people to leave the room. He knelt down and prayed. And then... You guys know the story here that her soul returned. She opened her eyes. She sat up and was raised by the power of God after which Peter presented her to the people. And then we see, again, first time in the book of Acts, it wasn't necessarily Peter's faith. I think Peter approached it like, what would Jesus do? Because if you look at Mark chapter 5, this is exactly how Jesus did it. Exactly. I mean, then Jesus said, uh, Talitha kumi, he said, Tabitha 
kumi, I mean, almost the same thing. I mean, it's just identical. And what we find, again, you might ask, well, why did this happen? Why was she raised from the dead? Again, the will of God combined with compassion and salvation. Because look again at verse 42, if you would. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. Now, it's interesting, real quick, where this took place. Joppa is a familiar city to some of you. Uh, again, when you go to Israel, you guys are going to see it. This is beautiful. The seaport right there. Um, but also, if you read your Bible, the uh, uh, book of Jonah, it mentions Joppa. And it was there that Jonah found a ship to go away from the will of God who wanted to warn and reach the Gentiles. Isn't it interesting, even ironic, that here Peter is obedient and follows the will of God in order to reach the Gentiles. Again, because this is a very Gentile territory, and in chapter 10, he's going to open up the doors to the Gentiles. And so it's going to be an open door unlike any before, and we're going to see even more clearly in the next chapter how this all pans out. And to me, I was just thinking, because I don't know how you feel, but I feel like maybe we can be on the brink of seeing a sea of salvation. Seeing a whole bunch of people getting saved. I mean, isn't that what we want? Can God do that? Yeah. And see, in looking at this right here, and you see Peter's obedience and going to Joppa and taking a step of faith, what we find right here is that God uses it as a wonderful witness, just like he did in Lazarus when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. The Bible says in John 12, 10 and 11, that on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. You know, and again, it's the same thing like I mentioned earlier. Um, when someone starts walking physically, it's cool. Living physically, it's cool. But spiritually, when you see the walk, the power of their walk or their life in the Lord, that right there in and of itself is a witness and people are going to be drawn to our Savior, right? How many of you here, you remember the day when you were dead in your sins? You were dead. Right? Some of you were deader than others, but we were like dead, right? And then one day, boom, all of a sudden you have a passion, you have a love, you have a life that's centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. And people begin to ask, well, why? What happened? And you begin to tell them, this is what's going on. Jesus Christ has come into my life. And as a result of that, people start getting interested. And they, maybe, hey, maybe that, you know, you used to get high and, and now, you, you, you know, you don't get high anymore. You used to... You know, we used to party together. We'd go to, we, you know, we'd hang out. You know, we'd get violent, fight. I mean, you name it. There's so many things. Now you don't. What is this? Because I have life. Right? We spoke about this last Sunday on Easter, the day we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, how that was the sign. He defeated death. And therefore, it makes perfect sense to follow the one who is alive. And so, in verse 43... We have that last verse. And so it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a tanner. And that's why when you see pictures of Peter, you'll notice he has a nice tan. Have you guys noticed that? <laughs> no, a tanner, I guess it was one who would preserve the skins. And it's interesting because in the Jewish religion, these guys were unclean because they dealt with these dead you know, animal bodies all the time. But God's doing something in Peter's life. 
We have a lot of times we have a tendency to put God in a box. It's a man-made traditional box. Be careful of that, man. You've got to be open to where the Spirit would lead you. And as Peter is being led more and more by the Lord, not the legalism, not the boxes that he had put God in, God begins to say, that's a man that I can use. And we're going to see later, God flings this door wide open. You know, during the days in Joppa, no doubt Peter was there taking the opportunity to ground the new believers in the truth of the word. Because here's the thing that you also got to know. That faith built on miracles doesn't last. You know, if that's all your faith is founded on, yeah, I remember the day, you know, I, you know we saw this miracle happen. That's like a hangover. That's what, that's what that's like. How many of you here, you had a hangover, like an awful hangover, and then you said, I'll never drink again. How many of you, have you guys, or am I the only one? I did that a hundred times, man. I'll never drink again. Why? Because it's an experience, because you're feeling it, right? But then it doesn't take much long, maybe about three days later. This is before you were Christians, okay? And then you do it again. Why? That's how experiences work. See, and so you can't build your faith on, on that miracle. You've got to build your faith on the Word of God. And this is why Calvary Chapel, the Lord has done such a neat work, because it's built on the Word. You know, you don't come to church and necessarily jump through hoops or swing from the chandeliers. You know, or, you know it's not all emotional, it's not all crazy, but you're, you're taught the Word. Because when you're taught the Word, you're going to get rooted and grounded in the truth. And you walk by faith and not feelings, by convictions and not emotions. And what ends up happening is you stay. So that's why Peter was there staying in Joppa, they were in Sharon. They had been in this whole region of Sharon. And they started sharing their faith right there in Sharon. So all these people are getting saved. And he's like, okay, you know, let's teach them. And so they're there. And God begins to do a great work. When I put this together, I, 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 this is the way I see it. That walking and working, like this lady worked, it, it equals living. She lived not for the Lord. And that's how it is, you guys. Your walk, your work, and your living for the Lord. You know, I was thinking about this, and uh, it, it, I was, I don't know, you know, because I almost didn't teach this study today, because here's a, a young lady, and, and, and she passes, and then, you know, she gets raised from the dead, and I was thinking, and fresh in my mind, of what happened to our sweet sister Nadine. And then the Lord also showed me, and, and Bob, you guys, some of you guys know Bob, he was bedridden, and he recently passed away. And so I was thinking about this, Lord, wow, for us here in a church, we had a dear brother Bob who was bedridden, he passed, and then our, our just amazing sister Nadine, and, and, and she passed, and, and so Lord, you know, are you trying to tell me something? And of course we know, because maybe you're here and you're like, well, why didn't um, the Lord heal them? And, and this is the way it works. We talked about it earlier. It's according to God's will. God only intervenes. Theologians say it this way. He only intervenes for redemptive purposes. If God saw that it would be best to heal them, He would have healed them. But God saw that there would be a greater work. It would be best for most if he took them home, if he healed them on that side of time. You see? 
And, and why is that? Because a lot of times it's the suffering that people go through, you know, that, that works more deeply in our life. I mean, just to hear the words of Nadine, who went through this tremendous trial fighting cancer. You guys don't know the pain that she went through. Neither do I. But I can just imagine how, 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 how difficult that was. But what did she say? She said, don't just go through it, grow through it. When I, when I see Nadine, again, I was sharing with, the, with them, and I'm still trying to process this whole thing, you know, that, that she reminds me of Esther. How Queen Esther was, 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 uh, was chosen, you know, in the whole country. And, and she was so beautiful. I texted this to Carlos uh, the other day. I said, um, you know, because she was raised up for such a time as this. And this is what I texted him. I said, a time when most in the world are going the wrong way, away from God, especially the younger generation, she was going the right way. She was going against the flow for such a time as this. And she sparks a movement to save lives. A young lady chosen for her faith, her strength, her smile through it all, and her beauty inside and out. You see... And, and, and you're like, well, why, why didn't he you know, heal her? Because he would do a greater work in allowing her to come home early. And I was even thinking about this. And again, you guys, you already know I'm weird, but you know, she's uh, Tabitha, um, Dorcas, Gazelle. They're, they're faster. It's like they run their race faster. Sometimes they pass younger because of a great purpose. And that's what ends up happening here. You know, John 12, 24, it says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. And in looking at this, we, we see a great miracle and that that paralyzed guy was raised from the bed. And we see a greater miracle in that, you know, Tabitha was raised from the dead, but we see the greatest miracle of all when people are saved. Right? And if you're here today and you need that, I pray that today you would turn to the Lord. Whatever you do, don't say, well, I'll do it next time. Because you might not have next time. And your, your intentions right now are like, you're good because God has you. But you might not feel that next time. This might be your turn. Today's your opportunity. God loves you. He just wants to bless your life. Do you want that blessing? Do you want Jesus? I pray that you do.